Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. Last time we had so much fun with Steve Fox talking about Solar with two R's. I am uh, thrilled to be joined by my friend Josh Trujillo with two L's in Trujillo uh, today. How are you, Josh? Good, I've got L's to spare since they're silent. <laughs> Unless you're a llama. Well, exactly. I guess there's still, there's still a silent L there. Uh, how are you, my friend? How are, how's life? Uh, life is good. It's uh, scorching in SoCal, but it's like that everywhere, I think. It's uh, it's finally like late. We're recording this at the end of September. It's finally like late, uh, like late summer, early fall weather now. We were like 105 forever. Now it's like dropping from 90 to 70 in two days and like it's all gray now. I love it. It's my favorite. No, our fall is for like two weeks in November and then our winters for like three weeks in December and then oh, see. back to the grind. Salt Lake definitely has four seasons. We have all four, but yeah, this was a weirdly hot summer. Uh, Josh and I uh, have uh, corresponded on the podcast a number of times. We had an opportunity to meet and hang out a little bit at FlameCon in New York City. Uh, how was your experience at FlameCon, Josh? Uh, FlameCon is probably my favorite convention just because, you know, our... Our kin are there, and it's just there's a lot of enthusiasm for queer books, and people actually read the comics. Sometimes yeah. uh, you go to a convention, I won't say which ones, but they they just don't, they like the idea of the comics more than the actual paper books. They're passionate about characters and storylines they've never read. Yes, which is fair. <laughs> you know, we all have those characters that we love just kind of based on vibes, sure. and not, not necessarily anything the character has done. That's entirely fair. Like our I, baby, like today. I was uh, I was so surprised at FedEx. I, I think I shared with you in person, back when I used to do the con circuit as a professional, I was always like the closeted, you know, Idaho kid. It was a very different uh, experience. Uh, but being in a place where it was queer creators and queer comics, there's something about just letting your guard down and just letting yeah. you be yourself. That's wonderful. I was at FanX here in Salt Lake City just last week, and it was massive and it was fun, but it's just a, such a different experience. Uh, I I could see myself going back and back to FlameCon. I had a great time. Oh, yeah. I'll be there every year they, they let me show up. So. And you were just in Boise. That's where I went to school. How was your time in Boise? I really liked it. I was there for Boise Comic Arts Festival, BCAF, and it's like, a, it's a great show. Boise's a funny town in that you can kind of walk across the downtown in maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, but it's so like clean and nice and just like, I don't know, there's a real passion for comics in, in Idaho of all places. Yeah, yeah. Idaho is a weird state. There's kind of three distinct spots in it. There's like the northern wildernessy space and then like the southeastern desert. And then you've got like the Boise kind of left-hand corner. And, uh, you know, it's a small city and a big city at the same time, but it's a great place. I don't know you were there with Terry Blast. That's uh, where Terry's from. Uh, I hope I hope he showed you a good time. He's a, he's a great guy. Oh, he absolutely did. He was a great, everyone was a great ambassador to, to Boise. And it was my first time in Idaho. So uh, I think I got a perfect welcome and like a nice encapsulation of what the town's about. Hopefully next time I go back, I can do some of the surrounding nature stuff, but yeah, yeah, there's plenty of that there. Uh, Idaho, uh, I, I've spent a lot of my life in Idaho, uh, not in the last 10 or 12 years, but um, from ages basically 11 through 30, I was in various parts of Idaho in different places, uh, not always and not consistently, but 
Uh, it's a good place. Uh, go to North Idaho sometime too. North Idaho is just beautiful. It's pine trees and lakes and it's just absolutely stunning. The, the farther north you get, the prettier it gets. Okay, I'm intrigued. Uh, so you've been working on uh, Blue Beetle for DC Comics lately. Yes. Recently had Hulkling and Wiccan come out. How are you feeling as a as a creator in this day and age as 2022 is wrapping up? Uh, you know, I'm booked and busy, which is nice. Um, I'm working on Blue Beetle graduation day. It's six issues, so I'm kind of about halfway or so in scripting it. And I'm working with an incredible artist, Adrian Gutierrez. And then, um, oh, this was announced. We're doing more Hulkling and Wiccan this year. And uh, you can look for that towards the end of the year, but I can't say exactly when because I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The schedules these are always shifting. These unlimited books just appear like a, like a comet or something. And you're like, oh, I guess we're doing Ant-Man this week. Cool. That's wonderful. I love that you've got so much going on. I think you're a phenomenal writer. Uh, I love reading everything you do. And it's, uh, it's lovely to call you a friend. I'm happy to uh, be hanging out with you today. I, uh, I just got back from the dentist. I'm hoping my energy is like up. <laughs> Normally it's in these podcasts. I was sitting in a chair with my mouth open for an hour as they uh, tested my orthodontics. Uh, I've got Invisalign lately. But uh, anyway, I'm happy to be here and hanging out with you. Now, the first time Josh was on the podcast was kind of back when we first started having guests on. And the podcast has changed a little bit since then. Uh, but the uh, the first time Josh came on is when we were in that kind of nonsense. Roy Thomas had just taken over the 60s X-Men book and he brought in Count Nefaria and his cronies and they had gathered like a selection of uh, one-off characters from other earlier books like Plant Man and Unicorn and Eel and uh, one of them was Porcupine and Josh you seemed to at the time have a particular affection for Porcupine in this uh, X-Men two-parter uh, what what did you like about this guy? I think the design is kind of ridiculous the way it's drawn it kind of looks like he's wearing like uh, I don't even know what like uh, like straw yeah it's like know? a bale of hay almost it looks like he's wearing like a bale of hay and he's got this kind of like grotesque mask mask on but like He's so, there was something earnest about him and the way that his powers don't necessarily align with anything you'd expect from a porcupine. Like there is that like spininess, but as we've, I've read all these porcupine issues now, he doesn't use that very often. He's more of a gadget based villain. I'm picturing like Stanley with like a list of animals and he's like, we could do a skunk or a possum. Ooh, a porcupine. <laughs> yeah, there's a real danger there, right? <laughs> he's a, he's a maybe, I mean, I mean, this guy encapsulates just everything that's ridiculous about early 60s Marvel. And no book does that better than the early Ant-Man and Wasp adventures, mm -hmm. which are just so stupid and wonderful. Uh, we we got to see those uh, those played on in I think it's Al Ewing writing the new Ant Man series where he's taking Ant Men from different time periods and like feature episode of each one and his first issue goes back to those sixties days where there's like the guy who has a gun that will make you old and like the guy who has like a trumpet that will make you see hallucinations when he plays it. And like, he took all these nonsense, like Ant-Man 60s villains and brought them back. And uh, Porcupine's from that mix. He's just, he's such a delightful little 60s nugget. Now, a lot of modern readers might know the newer Porcupine a lot better. There's a guy named Roger Gawking who puts on a variation of the Porcupine suit. He's a villain for a while, but then he gets some prominent attention as the boyfriend of uh, Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, 
And uh, for a while, he's the nanny of her son, Gerald, but they recently broke up tragically. Uh, they turned him into kind of a funny character. And then suddenly he's like super hot, like bearded muscle daddy. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with the Roger Gawking version of, of, of Porcupine. Do you know that character at all? A little bit. That's from the Carla Pacheco run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, uh, he like was the house husband role for for any character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the house husband, uh, and he, yeah, he he was given a backstory. He's got like an ex wife and a daughter. They did some cool stuff. This is back when like Spider Woman was pregnant, and everybody's like, "Who's the dad?" And then the big reveal in the comics was like, "There is no dad, bitch. Like she just got artificially inseminated because she wants a baby. So leave her alone." And it was great. <laughs> I don't know if you read That's any bad. of those. It was great stuff. No, I love that. And you know, there's always. A hesitation to uh, give characters babies because sometimes it's a storyline death. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, well, I don't know what to do with this baby. Uh, even in I Love Lucy, they just like hand off the baby like constantly. <laughs> I love babies in real life, uh, but her baby is awful. He's got spider powers, he's like fucking climbing mm-hmm. on the ceiling and zapping shit all the time. That kid, he's like ADHD, like all over the place. <laughs> I don't want to watch that kid anytime soon. Well, they did that with like, you know, they all get powers eventually, right? Like Franklin has powers, Valeria has powers. With Shogo, Jubilee's kid, has a lot of like mystical stuff going on in their particular... He's a dragon uh, now. He's yeah. So I mean, that's okay, baby to dragon. I'm into it. We even saw Shogo from the future one time come back and he was like sentinel x or something he was like future iron man uh in in, in uh, that weird brotherhood of evil mutants time travel story that bendis did but yeah all of the babies get powers i think uh i think it's a way to keep them entertaining <laughs> uh but this guy this porcupine uh i don't know how fun it, or if it was fun for you reading some of his backstories he's got he's got a fair number of appearances but most of them are relatively inconsequential he's like the filler villain that you put on some team that's easy to punch he's like he's like toad for the x-men you just toss him on a team someone punches him and knocks him out and like oh no there's toad and that's kind of porcupine he pops up in a bunch of bunch of different titles like defenders and captain mm-hmm. america over the years but there's really only three or four kind of prominent appearances of this guy. Tell me some of your thoughts before we kind of jump in on his chronology. Yeah, um, again, the visual kind of pulled me initially, but like in reading these appearances, I do have a soft spot for these villains that are just like one of six who get to appear when they're fighting a super team. Like, <laughs> we're gonna team up with against, we're gonna destroy Iron Man. And so you just grab whoever's available at the moment. Um, so it's nice to see someone get, give them a little bit more depth. I'm kind of reminded of like weird, I would say D-list villain characters like uh, was it like Mr. Sachs or something? Who's like the Dazzler villains that are kind of like jazz themed? Johnny Guitar and Mr. Uh, Sachs or Do- yeah, was yeah, it yeah. Dr. Sachs? Johnny Guitar Dr. and Dr. Sachs. Sachs I, think. I don't want to deny him his uh, PhD, <laughs> but I don't remember exactly if it's Mr. or Doctor. I remember Christos Gage pulled them into the Dark Reign era of the uh, the Avengers Initiative title, and yes. I think Johnny Guitar died. He like sacrificed himself in uh, the negative zone. It, it's been a minute. <laughs> so you're saying there's a magical sci-fi guitar hiding around in the Marvel universe somewhere? Yes, or floating in the negative zone, just waiting for Blast Star to float by and grab it. <laughs> <laughs> 
so we we uh, we see a lot of these characters uh, from the '60s that kind of just feel like one-off villains, especially when there's tech being used. They design some sort of tech or armor, they put a suit on, and then they create a whole gimmick. And then, uh, like, writers decades later are like, let's use that guy. And they either make them crazy killers or they give them cancer or they, like, they have some big insane plot because, like, Captain America's kicked my ass 75 times and I finally want my big day in the sun. Like, those types of stories. We see these old 60s villains revisited in that way over and over. Porcupine's a little different. Porcupine dies uh, rather stupidly, kind of famously stupidly in some ways, but he's given a lot of love by Mark Grenwald right before the end. I kind of want to open with his death if you're cool with that. Yeah, I mean, that was the reading order. So it was interesting to be like, oh, I feel for this guy and then go back and be like, oh, he is just kind of like a boilerplate villain in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So in, in Captain America 315, which was written in 1986, uh, this is Mark Grenwald on his long run on Captain America. Porcupine, and we'll go back to the beginning in a minute, I promise. Porcupine is trying to sell his suit to another villain. He wants to cash out. He's tired of being a failure, but literally no one wants to buy it, (laughs) which is so pathetic. And he tries selling it to like AIM, Hydra, the Serpent Society, the Tinkerer, Kingpin, the Secret Empire. Like he's super thorough, but like nobody wants it. And he's just sitting, like he's just like laying depressed on his back as he thinks about his life. There's two full pages in the comic book where he's just thinking about how like pathetic he is, which I have certainly had times like that in my life. Have you ever had any moments in your comic book, Josh, where you lay on your back for two full pages and think about how pathetic you are? <laughs> I mean, personally, yes, but I've yet to uh, force a character to to languish in that way. I think we can all relate to that. We all have those days where we just are done and we don't want to anymore. Uh, so as he's laying on his back, I'm gonna read his little like thought bubbles about himself out loud. He, he says, How is it that I, one of the first costumed super criminals of this generation, have fallen so abysmally low? I had such grand notions in the beginning. I was working as a weapons designer for the U.S. Army when I came upon the idea of basing armor on the principle of porcupine's natural protection. It took me months to overcome, excuse me, it took me months of overtime to develop a man-sized suit of metal and plastics capable of shooting high velocity quills in any direction. So proud of my project was I that I decided to keep it and use it to acquire greater fame and wealth than any government employee ever dreamed. Unfortunately, the accursed Ant-Man and Wasp managed to foil my schemes. How humiliated I was to be bested by the least powerful superhero in town. At least when he beat me a second time, it was as giant man. My confidence badly shaken, I eagerly accepted Count Nefaria's invitation to join his group of costumed agents. When we were defeated by the X-Men, I blamed it on the incompetence of my cohorts. But even then, I suspected the truth, that I was a wash-up from the start. Still, I hung in there, going up against and getting beat by nearly every costume crime buster in town. I was getting to be a walking joke. Finally, I took the time to totally revamp and overhaul my porcupine armament, hoping to sell it and make a quick profit. But while demonstrating it to a prospective buyer, I was soundly trashed by Captain America and Nomad. If I'd wanted that to happen, I wouldn't have bothered customizing the suit. While in jail, I vowed to myself to never get beaten again. And the only way to guarantee that is by never putting on that stupid costume again. I just want to retire, live in peace. But to do that, I need money. And the only way I can get money is by selling my porcupine suit. But nobody will buy it from me. 
wait a minute, no supervillain would buy it from me, but maybe, just maybe, he thinks. So before we go on with this issue, tell me what you have learned about this man through his very depressing <laughs> inner monologue. Um, you know, it's one of these things where like, it's like a classic Spider-Man villain where it's like, if you had just done, made something for the general public to consume, like you'd be rich and fabulous and wealthy but instead you turn your life into crime and you're like sore and you're obsessed with turning people into dinosaurs. You know, like <laughs> I, I never really understood. Well, we go in, we touch on that actually in his origin issue about why he wants to go into crime, but um, seeing how far he's fallen is really interesting. I'm kind of curious why Mark would like dig up this character of all characters to kind of be like the, 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 the down on his luck former villain um but you feel for him for sure i think i don't know what the timing of this is but it must have been like 10 years or something but since anyone's heard of the porcupine yeah he i mean again he showed up once in a while when like little backstories are like easily getting his ass kicked but he's sitting down thinking like i had a dream even though his dream was a porcupine <laughs> i had a dream and it never went anywhere. And now I just want out because I'm pathetic and ridiculous and nobody wants me. And he's just like in this super morose, depressive spell. You would think he would feel that way every time he puts on the porcupine suit. <laughs> but there's something about him putting on this suit in the adventures when we read that he it like unleashes this like super confident, like uh, like magnetic, like narcissistic side of him where he's like, I am the porcupine and I will destroy you. But then as soon as he's defeated, he's like, oh, fuck my life. Like, I'm never going to amount to anything. Like he has a weird relationship with this porcupine armor. He's like, thinks of it as his one great accomplishment and he hasn't accomplished anything with it. It's a very like, again, it's as we'll see, it's a very capable suit. It does a lot of interesting things. And so <laughs> he should be proud of it. But also like his, I guess it's just a classic hubris situation, right? Like he wants to be, he says several times throughout these comics, he's like, haha, now I'm going to be the ruler of mankind or something like that. And it's like, dude, you're like fighting street level heroes in a porcupine suit. Like you need to sit down. He, uh, he has a weird relationship with, I think this is kind of like, we'll get to this guy's background, but we it's like that 60s, like baby boomer generation. Like I'm just one of many people back in the day when you're supposed to like work until you're 65 and then you have like a meager retirement and maybe you travel a little bit before you get sick and your insurance takes all your money and you're just hope, you know what I mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. like it's our, it's like our parents' generation. And he really wanted to make something profound. It's like the American dream for him almost. Like if I can do this thing, I can have this easy life. But he doesn't stop there because he doesn't, he, he suddenly wants to, he just keeps getting smacked around by, by superheroes as he like keeps trying to like take advantage of people. But he's not a truly bad guy, not in the way that so many supervillains, he's not like cruelly harming civilians or uh, he just wants an easy payday. And then eventually to like beat people up because he's tired of having them step all over him all the time. He makes a, uh, he makes me think of like a post office employee who's <laughs> like super bored designing a supervillain suit in their home garage. I don't know. He's a, he's got a charm to me for sure. Yeah, he's, uh, he's an interesting fellow for sure. And like, I'm curious about how well connected he is. Obviously he's worked for like 
Count Nefaria and various villains over the years. And he even says as much, he's like, was able to shop around this suit to basically every criminal organization in town. And so he definitely has like connections that you think wouldn't, would benefit him in some way. But instead he's like relatively destitute, down on his luck and like in need of a job. He's part of like the email group thread at the bar with no name where mm -hmm. all the supervillains hang out and everyone's He's exactly a bar with no name level villain. <laughs> he hangs out and drinks, but he wears his suit to the bar because he wants everyone to know who he is. And he has his, what, what's his drink, do you think? It's like, a, it's like, I don't know, he's a rum and coke guy, maybe. Um, oh, I don't know. This guy's like so, you know, he, I guess he is like a grandfather's generation thing. So it's probably like a Jack, like a Jack and Coke kind of deal, if that. He's, a, he's a dirty Shirley to me. <laughs> he's drinking a hot toddy at the bar with yeah. no name. <laughs> Not even looking for anyone. He just wants to be seen. He's had a bad life. He okay, so shares war stories. He's like, he, he says he's like one of the first costume criminals of his generation, which is such a funny claim to fame. <laughs> but it's true he was one of the first 60s villains right back at the beginning even if he's uh, a little the, the thing that makes him really fun to me is those two early appearances that we'll get to where he fights mm -hmm. ant-man because it's just so the, the the choices he makes are just so amazing <laughs> okay so we're gonna stay with captain america 315 for a second so he he realizes no villain will buy his suit so he calls captain america who comes to his house and the porcupine's real name is alexander gentry uh, what does he look like without his armor on, Josh? Oh, gosh. He's kind of like, uh, he kind of looks like Bluto from Popeye. He's Fair. kind of got that rough beard. He's kind of got that barrel chest, a little bit of a belly, perhaps. And he's got, yeah, he's got, uh, in this, his, his the color of his hair is like blondish, but in other appearances, it's kind of grayish. So maybe he did mm -hmm. like a touch of, was that like a touch of gray, that like beard dye, or just the colorist didn't care. You know. He he would do very well at like Bear Week in Puerto Vallarta. Oh, absolutely. He's like Lazy Bear River in Guerneville. Like, <laughs> uh, so he asks Cap if he wants to sell the sell or buy his suit. Like, take it off my hands. The Avengers are getting a criminal off the streets, basically, and I can retire. He says it's the honest truth. I want out of the business I'm in. I've been beaten so many times, I can't bear the thought of it anymore. I'm the laughing stock of the underworld community. Nobody has any use for a has-been. I tried to sell my porcupine suit to various criminal groups, but nobody was willing to give me more than 20 bucks for it. Finally, I figured maybe you good guys might pay me something just to keep it from falling into the hands of your enemies. I mean, the suit is deadly, no matter what anyone thinks. I guess it was just the guy wearing it who was a dud. Ugh. I, I do mental health for a living. And in mm -hmm. my personal life, I really struggle with people who really want you to like make them feel better. They're like, instead of like, I, ha I had a breakup. They're like, I broke up with someone and clearly I'm the person that's at fault and no one's ever going to love me because I'm the problem. And I, I just, I'm a terrible person. Right. I'm just like, Oh, like this guy's reinforcing how awful he is over and over. He just, <laughs> he partly, he needs a hug, but mostly he needs a therapist. Yeah. He's got these negative thoughts. And this is also like, you know, it's a superhero comic of this era. So people repeat what they say and what, what they're thinking endlessly. Mm -hmm. But like this, it's like, it's a super depressive episode this guy's in. And the idea, I will say the plan, the new plan he develops to sell the suit to superheroes, to keep it out of harm, like keep it out of man mankind's, like that's fine. Like that's a good plan. Like you, you make, I guess you make a weapon of evil and then you sell it to the good guys, right? 
Who else is the uh, laughing stock of the underworld community besides the porcupine, do you think? Oh gosh, it's like, he's kind of been like glammed up a little bit, but I feel like Batroc was in that zone for a while. A lot of the Cap villains actually, and I'm a big Cap guy, having created Aaron Fisher, the gay Captain America. Like there's a lot of like low level Cap villains and we get to see some of them in the other issue we're going to talk about too. Um, there's uh so this was an era when mark renwald was writing cap he he had a thing where he didn't want to create any new villains there were so many already in existence he and john byrne were both doing this this is like the she hope thing too yeah this is like a Ray thomas thing like a rehab they would take like older villains dust them off and try to do things uh with with some exceptions but yeah there's some there's some nonsense old characters who got dusted off like pace pop pete became the trapster which is a great example mm-hmm. of uh, a 60s villain reform but there's a lot of old 60s guys that are just like what happened i mean basically everyone in ant-man's uh rogues gallery is on this list uh <laughs> oh, not whirlwind whirlwind is okay but whirlwind was initially the human top <laughs> oh wait was he i don't think yeah. i knew that when he first fought ant-man or giant man he was the human top and then they turned him into whirlwind wow, and he's know. a he's a stalker <laughs> i'm not gonna touch that one <laughs> he literally top. like like about a third of his t- a third of the times he attacks the avengers it's because he wants the wasp to notice him. Like he's yeah, a... he's like in love with the wasp. Or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of creepy actually. But you know, that's his thing. He uh, <laughs> he needs the to be neat, dude. When we're talking about the wasp and her various love triangles, creepy is definitely the word to go with it. And especially like in, we'll could talk about the giant man and ant man issues where like Hank's just being a dick to Jan the entire time. Hank's like twice Jan's age. I think we forget that sometimes. Okay, so Captain America hears Porcupine say, I tried to sell it to all these places, and one of those groups is the Serpent Society. And Captain America's been looking for the Serpent Society. So he says, Porcupine, if you give me a lead on the Serpent Society, then I'll buy your suit from it. And Alex is hesitant. He doesn't want to put his suit back on, but he's going to need to if he wants to like meet with the Serpent Society in person to try to get some sort of... A deal made up so as he's putting the suit back on he thinks i hope this is for the last time it turns out it is because he's gonna die in just a minute are you a serpent society fan and if so who are your favorites uh i like princess python a lot i think that's great i like she's on my wall oh really i love her yeah she's great um the serpent society's you know there's so many of them you would think the snake gimmick wouldn't stretch as far as it does and there's always a new Serpent Society member with like another, it's like, I'm Mamba or whatever. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll just put you in the pile, I guess. Like, There's a few that are just kind of tossaways, but there's some iconic ones. Anaconda and Black Mamba rise right to the top for me. I think they're incredible. Uh, Cottonmouth is amazing. Of course, Cottonmouth. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so they, they arranged this meeting with the Serpent Society and basically, uh, they end up attacking Captain America while Porcupine's off in the shadows. And there's a moment where, there's, there's a moment where Cottonmouth, who's, who's got like really crazy sharp teeth and his like jaw stretches and he bites Captain America's shield and his teeth all break out. Yeah. It's such a bad moment for him. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but uh, this is before Diamondback and Captain America are dating. So Diamondback, uh, Rachel Layton, who is still part of the Serpent Society, uh, tells uh, Porcupine to stay out of it. She tosses one of her diamonds at him. 
uh, he's pissed because this is going to damage the suit he's trying to sell. And Porcupine yells, all right, you, I didn't want to fight, but you just damaged my most precious piece of property. I'm so mad now. You can eat my quills, which is a great, if you're going to have a catchphrase, if you're a Porcupine. Yeah, eat my, I, eat quills, my quills is a good one. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so he fires at Diamondback, but in his fire firing attempt, he trips and falls down. And one of the quills he was trying to fire literally just pierces his own heart. Uh, and he is dying and he says, I really, I don't really care anymore. I'm going to die as I lived. One big loser. Cap tries to make him feel like a hero, but he isn't having it. He says, don't give me that. It's not true. Don't try to give my worthless life any meaning now. I know the truth. I'm not a hero. I'm a lousy villain. I'm nothing. And he dies. What are your thoughts on this death scene that we're opening with for this character? Oh my God. I mean, it's, it is heart-wrenching, right? Like, he's very self-aware of his place kind of in the Marvel Universe. And he goes out like a punk. There's just no other way around it. And he dies fighting Diamondback of all... I like Diamondback a lot, actually. Uh, especially as, like, a cap, like, romantic foil. Um, but it's just kind of sad. You know, he didn't even go out fighting, like, the head of the Serpent Society or, like, you know, having a hero turn and being like, I'm going to save you, Cap. He just right. like, just goes out like a punk. Also, I want to bring up earlier how he comes into contact with the Serpent Society. He is given a business card by one of the members and is like, try this number. If you want to join the Serpent Society, we'll be in touch. And so there is like a 1-800 hotline for the Serpent <laughs> Society. They're willing to just hand away. Meanwhile, Cap's like, how can I find them? Check the, felt, you know, check the yellow pages. I love the Serpent Society. We could do a whole long episode on them. They make me happy. I uh, I do find it fascinating that they did not give this guy the heroic death. It's even more interesting. Grenwald didn't kill a lot of characters, but he saw this as an example or an opportunity to kill an old 60s villain in the most pathetic way and to weave it into his story. And it's sad. It's a really sad death. Does anyone miss him? Does he have family? Was this like, where, where, what happened? Poor no, there's no one to avenge his death. Count, Count Nefaria is not doing it. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, Count, Count Nefaria forgot who he was. I think that's the case with most of the, the heroes he's fought over the years. Yes, Count Nefaria is, 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 yeah, we'll do, we'll do a Count Nefaria conversation <laughs> sometime. He's the man who would be God. He's the old man who he and Silverman are like, I'm not going to die. I'm going to take your power and then like keep myself relevant. But Porcupine couldn't do that. Uh, so what does Cap do with the Porcupine armor? This is okay, actually this very armor, touching. This is touching. He puts the armor on display, having not had to pay for it. He didn't buy the armor. He got it for free this time. And he puts it on display at Avengers Mansion for Jarvis to, to dust off every so often. And there's a little plaque, I think. It's like honorable, honored foe of the Avengers. Yep. And that's sweet. And so like, I think based off the notes I saw, he that is there. And like in con con canon, it's there for the rest of Avengers Mansion. I think it's shown up like two or three other times. But Avengers Mansion in the comics is like a museum now. Yeah. And it's like sometimes like uh, like a, a hostel or like a hotel, like a themed hotel. Uh, but I, I imagine it's still there. The, the armor is just there in the case with this little plaque next to it. Property of the Maria Stark Foundation or whatever. Mm -hmm. I doubt they took it to the Celestial at the North Pole. <laughs> Could you imagine taking it to Avengers Mountain? <laughs> 
Okay, so this is the death of the porcupine. That's where we're starting. Let's go back to the beginning. Tales to Astonish number 48 in October 1963. Uh, I don't know anything about this name. So with this, this character is created by Stanley H.E. Huntley and Don Heck. And I've never looked up the name H.E. Huntley. That could easily be a pen name for someone. I'll try to Google it while we're talking here and see if I can figure out who it was. But, uh, but we are introduced to the porcupine. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this story and we can kind of break it apart a little bit? Like uh, describe the porcupine on the cover. Like let's talk about him a little. Yeah, so um, again, he looks like he's covered in straw. Um, the whole deal with the porcupine is he's like a mid-level government employee, contractor, scientist who's kind of bored with his life and doesn't feel like he's really getting what he deserves. And so I think he has a line in there, something like, even if I showed that the government this armor I'm designing, what are they going to do? Give me a $10 raise, if that. And so it's like, I told, that makes sense. Like, that's a good, that's some good meaty villain origin. It's like, even from his get-go, the porcupine feels like he's owed something or he wants more from life. And he's just not going to get it. He is, yeah, he's the disgruntled, bored employee who wants some excitement in his life. Uh, this kind of describes a couple of characters. Like, do you know the beetle who becomes Mach 1 in the Thunderbolts? Uh, this describes him a little bit for me. Porcupine, his suit, we describe it as like a bale of hay, but it, it kind of looks to me like the, like what the soldiers would wear in like Vietnam. Like the Viet Cong would wear like those green like leafy suits so that they could hide in the jungle. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's almost like that a little bit. He's he's fully covered, like head to toe, basically. He's got this like bales, these like this like straw bale quills that are coming out. It, he jumped in the middle of a loofah and put like uh, put a gas mask on to protect himself from his own gas. So what this is is he's got these like stacks of quills on his armor, and they're on hydraulics. And he has a like a control panel at his belt. Yeah, so this is I a character. Have. He has to like keep his hands on the control panel at his belt line so that he can manipulate different quills that will like raise in little sections. And all of them are supposed to do different things. We'll talk about some of the capabilities, but like yeah, one section, one section will fire a certain kind of thing, and another section will fire another kind of thing. So he's spent a lot of time practicing, clearly, because he's got to be able to control these quills and like shoot whatever he needs to shoot out. Uh, what, what were you saying, Josh? I'm sorry. Oh no, he like he lists off early on, and I don't know if it's a spoiler for later in the issue, but he's like, yes, each button controls a special group of tubes. Once the quills are loaded, some with gas, some with stun pellets, ammonia, liquid fire, detector mine tubes, and all the rest. The man who wears this suit could defeat any foe, which we know is not true. Yeah, or the, the man who wears the suit cannot defeat any foe. Is what he's <laughs> trying to say. <laughs> he just forgot a key word there. My my brother-in-law once wrote my sister a note on a bad day trying to make her feel better. And she's like stressed out about the kids. And she finds this note and it says, Dear Kathy. Our family would be the same without you. Love your husband. He meant to say our family would not be the same without you. <laughs> but he left out a key word and it changed the entire meaning. I think that's what's happening with Porcupine here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, again, it's a packed suit. It's like it has as many gadgets as Iron Man, but he just can't get it together. So he comes up with this idea of the porcupine. He's like obsessed with it being like the nature's, he calls it nature's perfect fighting machine for attack or defense. 
a creature that wears its weapons and then shoots them at its enemies. So you'd think that his suit would like fire sharp quills at people, but no, he's come up with these like uh, tubes that fire weapons instead. Uh, is is this a good idea? <laughs> is it? A, I mean, I'm still baffled by having a suit made of tubes and not, he doesn't refer to them as quills, like ever. He keeps calling them tubes. And like, I don't know, it just seems like a little discordant from the whole porcupine motif. He doesn't lean into it very hard despite wearing like a shaggy suit. Um, but like he's, he says things like, I shall become the greatest criminal the world has ever known. And like, okay, man, like, mm. Yeah, so he initially is going to turn this suit over to the government and he's like, they're not going to get me anything for it. So why don't I keep it? He's like, this is my big chance. I could become a king using this suit. The king of <laughs> criminals, he thinks. <laughs> and, and we learn his name here is Alex Gentry. And he's this kind of portly, gray bearded guy who uh, clearly has had not a great life. We literally know nothing about his uh, his uh, backstory. And then he like launches uh, a, a life of crime or he tries. Henry Pym is Ant-Man at this time. He is a middle-aged scientist who's shrinking things. And he has given Janet Van Dyne, whose father died when the creature from Cosmos attacked. He's given this like young, uh, this young heiress who's, you know, a, a, a budding fashion designer, uh, wasp wings and a stinger. So she she's now a hero with him. So it's Ant-Man and the Wasp which is rare in the 60s. You did not see a lot of like female sidekicks. Uh, is this still, was this a retcon, but isn't the idea that Jan looks identical to Hank Pym's dead wife? Correct. And takes such a creepy interest in her. That's part of what happened. His first wife is Maria Travoya. Uh, she died in Hungary and uh, and Jan is now his new girlfriend. And Maria is the 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 mother of uh, Nadia Van Dyne, the new wasp yes. in the comics, but nobody knew that at the time because uh, these are all retcon stories, of course. But yeah, the uh, the Hank Jan relationship is confusing. It's fun. He's always very serious. We later learn he's bipolar. Uh, she's always very flighty and like trying to get his attention and they're kind of cute do you like their dynamic in these old books I don't know if you've read many of them um, he's really mean to her but also like she gets to bite back sometimes which I appreciate they've got like a little bit low level like uh them like a girl Friday and kind of like vibes to them yeah um but like the villain uh Porcupine's like impetus for starting his life of crime is because he reads a newspaper article that's like Hank Pym has invented a burglar proof bank. <laughs> so so this is where Porcupine's like, this is what I will do to like prove that I can be an amazing villain. Uh, so there's a little caption box under him in this moment it says take an idea no matter how diabolical add opportunity then sprinkle with ruthlessness and we have the birth of a new menace. And he <laughs> Which is so, which is so fantastic. Uh, this guy is determined to be something. He wants to be rich. He wants to be important. He's tired of being a nobody. He uh, he equips all of his tubes with things such as quote atomic pellets, and I don't know what that is. Liquid fire. I'm not sure what that is either. Gas pellets, fog pellets, liquid cement. Like he, what if he trips and falls down? Which is going to happen later in his life. <laughs> He's, this is not going to end well. He's just walk. I'm I'm picturing like he's walking around and the suit is making like a boom, 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 like everything's shaking inside when he yeah. tries to move. 
Uh, we'll also learn he has like boot jets. He can he can shoot himself in the air. One of the classic porcupine powers that real porcupines have are boot jets. Along with atomic pellets. <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's wielding a lot of chemical weapons and like nuclear. He is like violating a lot of international charters and agreements by wearing this porcupine suit. Yeah, and if this had ever been released into the like United States military, I don't think it would have gone well. That was the initial plan. Yeah, he's almost like, again, given like the amount of power, he's like more of like an Iron Man foe. I feel like classic scientist with like so much ambition and like, it's kind of odd to pair him with the giant man at first, but you got to start somewhere. I'm a little disappointed he was not bitten by a radioactive porcupine. Mm -hmm. We would have had a very different type of story. So he goes to the bank where Ant-Man has designed this new security system. And the bank president is literally announcing to the public, here's how our new security system works, which is ridiculous. And Porcupine attacks, he like uses blinding gas and liquid cement to like knock aside the security. He fires sleeping gas on the crowd. He th throws out a, a smoke screen. He uses like acetylene flame to burst through the vault lock. Like he's, he's ready to go, man. He's got these weapons down. And then when he like, he he like steals the vault money and like takes off with his jetpack, and then like the next day he robs another bank he's using paralyzing pellets and hypnotic wheels to contain the crowd but then he realizes ant-man and the wasp are likely to fight him soon and ant-man who's little teeny tiny of course follows porcupine back to his army office and sneaks in but porcupine's porcupine's ready for him he's got phosphorellant pellets uh that he tosses at the hero he picks Ant-Man up, pulls his helmet off with some tweezers, which is just fucking adorable, and then drops him in a bathtub to drown him. <laughs> which is it's so good and so villainous. Also, I think we missed where Porcupine has little tiny nets that he shoots out that can oh, yeah, yeah. Ant-Man. That's my favorite bit. Is like he he prepared by having these like maybe like two inch by two inch nets that he could shoot out at miniature foes. He's got, he's got tweezers and a bathtub all ready to go. And Ant-Man is like still like man-sized strength when he's tiny. So this doesn't track very well, but he leaves the room like 60s Batman villain style, right? Like you drop the hero in the trap and then you walk out and that gives Wasp a chance to like save Ant-Man from the drowning in the bathtub. Uh, and then eventually they turn on Quill, like I, I just said Quill, not Peter Quill, that's Star-Lord. They turn on Porcupine and they douse him with liquid cement to clog his quills up. And then like the ants, uh, like the little insects just like knock him over. But he gets away. He's got his jetpack. He's ready to fight another time. What do you love and or hate about this debut? Because I think it's fucking amazing. Well, yeah, it's amazing. There's also a line that Jan gives that I have to bring up when Jan comes to say the uh the day she says maybe it's women's inter intuition but i'm sure henry's in trouble although he wouldn't be if he had treated hadn't treated me like an invalid and had taken me with him so she is like biting i like this like she's got a little fangs to her despite the fact that henry always dismisses her and diminishes her she's sassy and i love her uh so i just looked up by the way h.e hart was a pen name for a guy named ernie hart who i i don't think i've ever heard of who lived from 1910 until like the mid eighties. And he's the co-creator of the Wasp. Oh. Uh, he wrote, he worked on a bunch of comics like Marmaduke. He created Super Rabbit. 
I'm, I don't have time to read the whole article right now, but uh, so yeah, apparently this was like a Stanley contemporary coming from the golden age, which is, which is fun. Uh, Porcupine is back five issues later. It's Tales to Astonish number 53. Dick Ayers is on board now. Uh, Porcupine uh, came across Giant Man, like stretched out between... <laughs> <laughs> stretched out between two buildings on like a high floor so that like wasp could walk across him from one building to the next did, did you mm -hmm. see the scene he's like he's like a human bridge in giant form it's so unclear in the art exactly what's going on or like <laughs> is he trapped in giant form no okay he just is in giant happens to be in giant form the entire he like he lets wasp walk across him and he goes oh you're like he complains about her pointy shoes there, there's been some writers who've played on this so ant-man's part of the original avengers and he feels a little bit out of his league because iron man and thor and fucking hulk are there and so he like oh if i can shrink maybe i could also grow like i'll be more impressive if i'm a giant so it's like he's he's got ego here so it's just a cooler way of using ant-man powers one of the first major complications to henry pym right before he creates ultron and then becomes yellow jacket and then this this guy's all over the place over the mm -hmm. years i don't know if you're a hank pym fan or not he's a lot to keep track of uh you know i i appreciate his journey but <laughs> hank pym is always kind of just well, okay, the Mighty Avengers run that Dan Slott did with Hank Pym did a lot of rehab for the character and I thought left him in a good place. But then he became Ultron not too long after that and it like kind of undid a lot of that stuff. Oh, the hubris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For him to become Ultron. Okay, I'm going to sum up this issue quickly. There's a lot of fantastic moments for Porcupine in this second appearance. It's just kind of nuts. So he fires a quill at Giant Man and makes Giant Man fall down and twist his ankle. Then he returns back to his base to develop a potent sleeping gas. Then Ant -Man's, or Giant Man is getting his ankle tended and he has a local fan club of people who like to dress up like heroes. Oh, this is the best. This is just delicious. <laughs> So he, he infiltrates a meeting of the Giant Man and the Wasp fan club, and he shows up dressed in his porcupine armor. And there are other kids dressed as Giant Man foes. There's one dressed as the Black Knight, one that's dressed as Egghead, one dressed as Doctor Doom, and one dressed as the Human Top, who is later Whirlwind. And they're like, oh, look, it's a new guy, even though it's this old man hanging out with like these little kids dressed in costumes. And they're like, oh, let's go visit Giant Man in the hospital where he's getting his ankle wrapped. And they're like holding signs as they march in with that say things like, yay, Giant Man. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're like rah, rah, shish, They literally say like rah, rah, shish, We love it's Giant Man. Giant Man, Giant Man, rah, rah, rah. Giant Man, Giant Man, sis, boom, bah. What? <laughs> What are your thoughts on these kids? Because I kind of love them. I adore these kids and I want to see more of them because this is like, I like the idea of wielding cosplay and like weaponizing it. Yes. Yeah. Like that's cool. I'm also wondering, like, this is just like a weird comic history. Like I'm sure kids were dressing up as like Superman or what Batman. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or like Halloween, but like this takes it to another level. I guess it's like a natural extension of early fandom. But I was just like, would that be normal for there to be like a fan club of cosplay back then? Oh, in like the 1960s, absolutely. Like kids like in big cities getting together because they have mutual interests, right? It's like it's like the bronies, but 60s style. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the modern equivalent of this story is like Sabretooth's like, I want to fight Wolverine. So I'm going to go hang out with all the people dressing like X-Men and then we'll go to the convention where Wolverine is and then I will attack him. And that's just, it's such a weird plot line, but it's so great. So they get to the hospital and Porcupine... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because it's amazing. Porcupine tells Wasp to go get a a, a, a gift that he left outside in his booby trap. Oh, this is so good. And so the, the Wasp leaves and he's now alone with the kids in Giant Man. And they're starting to think things like, um, his costume's not like as homemade as ours, which is amazing. And then he blankets the room with sleeping gas, knocks out the kids. Giant Man like spins out of the gas, grasps Porcupine, who then like hits, he has like, he has like some tubes or some quills that will like act like a little jackhammer, like a hydraulic. And they like hammer into giant man's arms and he's like, ouch. So he lets Porcupine go. Porcupine then runs out to the car. He has a steel jet pack. He fires like a suction cup on a steel cable, swings toward the car. The wasp has gotten to get this gift that he said he left outside, but he... <laughs> there's there's a there's a glass cage and she's like oh no i can't get out even though she probably could but she's stuck in this cage for whatever reason and in order to escape he fires insect spray all over the road so any ants that might try to track him are gonna die They're just savage so he gets back to his base he locks wasp into an escape proof room and he wants uh he wants her to reveal giant man's real identity even though he literally probably could have just killed giant man in this hotel or this hospital room because he had him whatever so he sends a radar quill out lets the wasp go and then he's trying to track her back to the base let me hear your thoughts on this story so far <laughs> so i love the villain plot of how he's going to capture the wasp he's literally like i'm going to have her go to my car that's as, that's as far as it is like that's all it takes he's like hey Hey woman, I have something in my car. Can you get it? And Jan, it being the era it is, Jan's like, okie dokie. So she gets trapped in a car, which again, like she absolutely could have escaped somehow. <laughs> um, but then uh, uh, I don't even, he, he's using the wasp. He lets the wasp escape, thinking, letting her think that she escaped on her own. Yeah, he just was with Giant Man. He could have pulled his mask off. He could have stolen his hospital records. He could have fought him at the, like he, this whole elaborate plot of like, bring, I don't know what's wrong with him. He wants attention. I, I it, The writers clearly were just trying to fill several pages. It didn't make a lot of sense. So I want to read this speech as he's tracking the wasp. He goes, I now know the extent of his powers, meaning giant man, but with my porcupine costume on, I am his master. And even if he escapes me, I shall know his real identity. He'll never be able to hide from me. Then when the underworld learns that the porcupine is the one who has defeated giant man, I shall be able to write my own ticket. I shall become the king of crime. He has this obsession with being the king of crime, which is somehow adorable. It's charming. Uh, <laughs> he's so pathetic. He's just so ridiculous. Okay, so Porcupine rushes to Giant Man's base. He does Which is not in have. New Jersey. What's that? Which appears to be in New Jersey. It is in New Jersey. That's established. Hank Pym has his headquarters or his lab in New Jersey. This time he forgets to bring his like insect spray because he's being tracked by the bugs, and Giant Man knows he's coming because the ants will talk to him sometimes on occasion for some reason. He uses a concussion rated blast down the door. He traps Wasp. This is so random, this section right here. He traps, traps Wasp by firing a flypaper pellet quill. 
<laughs> so it shoots out sticky paper and the wasp is like oh no i'm stuck and then he fucking like fucking throws a table at giant man's hurt ankle like hits him with sleeping gas then giant man like dispels the gas by like waving a rug around he shrinks down to ant size porcupine tries to fucking stomp on him then he grows back to giant size porcupine steals his pouch of growing and shrinking pills yeah he hits I, Giant Man with sneezing gas, and then he takes all the pills at once because he thinks it'll make him into a, just this amazing giant-sized porcupine, which is another thing porcupines are well known for, as being as big as a fucking skyscraper. And what happens to him instead? Oh, no! <laughs> oh, my God, the poor boy. He just shrinks into forever, it would appear. They're kind of, they leave it vague, which is just what we did back then, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, the, the, the monster's frozen and ice forever. He shrinks down to the size of a microbe. And I think there's a great untold story of him landing in the microverse and the micronauts. Like I was wondering that too. I was like, oh, you know, Jan's been in the mic, you know, they've all been in the microverse. Like this would be an interesting thing if he became the king of crime in the microverse. <laughs> he tried to go on a date with Marionette, but Commander Rand, Arcturus Rand punched him in the face and bug kicked him back to the macroverse again. If you needed to know one thing about Porcupine, it's that he has a flypaper pellet quill, which is incredible. Like he he sat down and thought, what are some ironic ways that I could fight Giant Man and the Wasp? Uh, I don't know if you read a lot of early 60s stuff, but these two issues are just deliciously wonderful. Silly, campy, incredible. I love them so much. And the heavy use, of, again, of teens is like just a great like 60s thing that we don't see as much anymore like the cosplay club or like rick jones's teen brigade this was this was the like target audience for marvel back then it yeah. was like the baby Benner, baby boomer generation uh of like 18 year old to 13 year old boys basically uh, I don't know. It's super fun. I'm going to cover a lot of Porcupine stuff like super quickly. We're not going to do his appearances chronologically. Most of his appearances are just not that important. But for those that might be interested in tracking, I do have a detailed profile of this character up on the Marvel Universe Appendix under Porcupine. I've also got one up for Roger Gocking if you want to learn more about the other Porcupine. Just so he's hammer in. I don't know about his other appearances, but Porcupine says King of Crime like six times. <laughs> He has a very clear vision for what he wants to be. He uh, He's one of the villains that attack the Fantastic Four's wedding in FF Annual 3 in 1965. He's in the X-Men story that we talked about, 22-23 in 1966. Uh, there is a moment where he like is sent to capture the beast. He has like nerve gas and a hypnotic disc, but ultimately like it just nothing really happens. He fires some, some like tear gas at civilians and some liquid cemented beast and then they punch him in the face and he's done. He shows up in 1966 in Captain America 130 where he briefly joins Batrock's brigade with Whirlwind. And uh, then he's on a team called Crime Wave along with some of the original Count Nefaria guys, Plant Man, Eel, Scarecrow, uh, and then the, the character Viper, Jordan Strike, shows up here. Uh, their leader is the Cowled Commander. He's back in 158-159 of Captain America in 1973, where he's a part of Crime Wave again. Uh, is, that a good, is that a good villain team name, the Crime Wave? I actually kind of like Crime Wave. Uh, it definitely, it's of its era, for sure. It's kind of fantastic. It just like, uh, he's... doesn't tell you anything about <laughs> what their whole shtick is. 
the brotherhood of evil the masters of evil and then the crime wave yeah <laughs> uh he shows up in defenders 36 through 38 in 1976 this is like a steve gerber story his hair is dyed red here uh he saw a stylist <laughs> he's back with plant man and eel yet again and they have this thing where they try to join gerber told weird stories there's like a cult called the celestial mind control movement where the villain Nebulon, who that we'll do, I'll do an episode on Nebulon sometimes. He's amazing. He wears, he's got yellow skin, white hair, and wears like, uh, like black starred wizard clothes. Uh, he's a bizarre character. Anyway, he's like mind controlling people into like being happy and wearing cloud masks. And that's basically what happens. Porcupines get his, gets his ass kicked again. He's in Avengers 167 in 1978 by Jim Shooter. Uh, he like fights Wasp, Yellow Jacket, and Nighthawk because uh, he they tried to rob a fashion show. He's got, he's got some guys working for him and he tries to rob a fashion show. He fires quills all over the place. There's like lasers and gas and it, like he gets stopped again. Then he's back in Defender 63 through 65. He's teaming up with like Plant Man. Blob is in this story if you, uh, if you like the Blob. They fight the Defenders when they like so the the bad guys gather and they're like, we should call ourselves the Defenders. That'd be fun. And then a team of like heroes who have nothing to do with the Defenders also call themselves Defenders and then like defeat them. Havoc is part of that team too, which is kind of random. Uh, if you uh, if you want a random Havoc appearance. Then he's in Iron Man 126, 127 in 1979, where he, like Justin Hammer hires him to fight Iron Man. Like I just summed up basically his entire publication history in less than two minutes. Any thoughts on uh, what happened to this guy? Like he wants to be the king of crime and he's just this crony for hire that, and it goes on for years. It's, it's tragic. The tragedy of the porcupine. But like, I think an Iron Man villain makes sense. Again, he's got that like, uh government tech gone wrong thing going on and so like justin hammer that's a natural team up he's delightfully weird so that makes sense for him to be in the defenders as well um it's just a shame he's not more effective he never he never wins he's never i, I don't know if he's ever actually had like a, a, he, i guess he robbed that bank successfully but that's about as far as it goes those kids he knocked out that one time though they got to grow up with like do you remember when we went to see giant man in the hospital and the, his super villain attack they like banked their whole lives on what happened to them he made their day <laughs> the giant man and wasp fan club will forever remember porcupine i know no we one... are charter members of that club as will as will jarvis because he has to dust the suit off <laughs> Okay, J.M. DeMatteis, who I just interviewed on the podcast. I think he's just wow. fucking amazing. One of my favorite writers of all time. Yeah, absolutely. He, he gives us a pretty solid Porcupine story in Captain America 285. Do you want to take the reins on this one? Tell us a little bit about what happens. This is the, so, like, the big appearance before he dies, basically. Um, yeah, so the Porcupine is, he's, he's spruced up his suit yet again. This is actually kind of a different design than we've seen in the Ant-Man appearances. Um, it's a little more like a porcupine. There's not the quills on the front anymore. It's more like a bodysuit that has the quills on the back, like you might interpret. Um, so he's up to suit, he's feeling good, and he's out to get Cap. He has this like warehouse training space where he has all these like mannequins of Captain America that he's dressed up so nicely. And so he's showing off his like, his like power quills and his like claws, he has claws now. Um, 
And so this is, he says himself, this is the porcupine's last stand. And so he's putting all into this. Um, meanwhile, Cap and his then gal pal, uh, Bernie. Bernadette are, Rosenthal, who's one of my favorite Marvel characters of all time. I love Bernie. What do you love about Bernie? Bernie is, uh, Bernie is a Jewish woman who goes on to become an attorney. And she's just no nonsense. She doesn't give a shit about Steve Rogers' like games that he likes to play. She likes him. And she's like, I will have your attention. She figures out he's Captain America while ever being told and like confronts him in his apartment one day. And she's like, you're Captain America, right? And she's just this character who is like full of heart. I think, I think what a lot of people love about Kitty Pride is what I love about Bertie Rosenthal. Uh, but she's just not been used except for one or two appearances in decades. But her her storyline in Captain America lasts for quite a while. And she's a phenomenal character. I love her. Yeah, this is a funny period, too, because this is when Steve Rogers was a comic book artist. And mm -hmm. I think we see him reading a script from the writer that's about Captain America. And he's like, oh, Captain America wouldn't do this. I should give my editor some notes, <laughs> which is great. Um, well, and this this is a thing too where like Marvel Comics, the company exists within the Marvel Comics universe and they publish comic books about their heroes in universe. So like it's supposed to be kind of like the trope, like the books that you're reading in your hands were like really stories that happened, but they were told to the Marvel writers and then they published them. That's, that's kind of the trope that they try to sell back then, which is super interesting. And then Captain America takes a job as the artist on his own comic book, which is amazing. Uh, also something to say about Bernie, which I caught me off guard. Um, Cap and Bernie's friend, Josh, I believe he's a mustachioed fellow. Yes. Yes. He's known Bernie since college. And he says, um, I just have to say this, uh, you should have seen the crazy stuff I used to walk in on back, uh, when Bernie and I were in college, this lady was kinky and has a hyphen in the middle. And I was like, oh, wow, Bernie. So I love Bernie. I want to do a whole Bernadette Rosenthal episode someday. I love her. She's uh, I love her in the way that I love Vera Cantor. And listeners of this podcast know how I love Vera Cantor. <laughs> no, I love I love civilian love interest for these characters that kind of drift in and out over the years. Yeah, and Spider Man, you know, like nobody forgets Gwen Stacy, but everybody forgets Bernadette Rosenthal and Vera Cantor. <laughs> Not us. Not, Not us. Never, never says I. Uh, do you want to keep going with the porcupine adventures? Oh, gosh. Um, so meanwhile, we're dealing with Nomad, which this Nomad is uh, the Captain America of the 1950s is Bucky, yes. who was injected with super soldier serum and went kind of insane. Mm -hmm. And so this is going on. Nomad is having a crisis of conscience, but kind of like, what where do I belong in this universe now that I am no longer affiliated with Captain America and at the same time if I recall the the man who played the guy Patriot who was the Captain America of the 50s he was a different Captain America from the 40s oh, I'm sorry <laughs> but no one the Bucky from the 50s correct okay that's okay great so <laughs> this guy who was Patriot is an elder man now and he's, he's in poor health and he's on his deathbed and Captain America gets a call and he has to leave Bernie to go visit this man. And so we don't know how much time he has, but Captain America is basically on call 
to be there in his final moments. And that's when um, the porcupine strikes and captures Nomad. He has a speech in this. First of all, they call him the pernicious porcupine munch, which I think is adorable. Pernicious means like uh, gradually harmful, which is kind, kind of apt for porcupine. He also has this speech. And again, this is like a few months before he dies, but he's or you can see him sinking into the depression. This is, this is like one last chance. He's redesigned his suit. He just wants to like live large. He says, let them nurture their grandiose plans of revolution and world conquest. All I want is their money. I once harbored such plans of, rev excuse me, plans, such dreams. I believe that as the porcupine, I would find, uh, I, I would find riches, glory, power. I soon learned the folly of my ways. Now I find myself growing old with nothing to share, show for my life's work, except a string of humiliating defeats at the hands of a seemingly endless supply of costume do-gooders, but no more. With the millions I'll make selling the designs for my battle suit, I'll turn my back on my career as a second-rate super criminal. Alex Gentry, Gentry will retire in style, and heaven helps anyone who get in my way. I could have hired some lackey to don the suit and make the final test run, but I have a score to settle with Captain America and his ilk, and I intend to settle it personally. The porcupine's last stand shall be his most magnificent. So he wants, like, he redesigned the suit in in the plan to sell it. Like, he he's already planning retirement. And he expects this to go amazing this time. He's been hit in the head one too many times. He wants to, no, like... he really has. I'm glad that he's given up on his dream of becoming the king of crime. Yes. It just was not going to happen for him. So after he captures Nomad, he sends a message, or he calls, like, Avengers Mansion. And like, he basically says, come get Nomad and uh, otherwise he's gonna die. Captain America shows up and he throws Nomad's body at Captain America. <laughs> yes, I guess this the suit also grants some level of strength, which yes. we have not, I have not seen previously. There's clearly some sort of exoskeleton or something. He, he's lost a little weight in this appearance. Like, it yeah, he's, a little less, he's a little less bearish, unfortunately. Little, little more otter-like well, or yeah. porcupine-like. We can create something. There we go. Uh, how does he get defeated this time? Oh gosh, um, how does he get defeated? Uh, he's fighting Captain America. Nomad distracts him and then like hits him with a trash can, and then Captain America just fucking pounds him in the face with his shield, and it's lights out. Yeah. Uh, so then Cap, uh, he needs to get back to the hospital to be with Patriot, and so. Porcupine is a pernicious foe and the fact that he's really just annoying Cap and keeping him from his duty to say goodbye to this, you know, this soon to be fallen soldier. And so yeah. Cap like wraps it up and he's like, okay, Nomad, you got it from here, which like doesn't really jive because Nomad, because later Porcupine just comes back. And so like, I don't know what Nomad did to de like deal with the Porcupine, but it didn't last. So Porcupine, J.M. DeMattei is one of the reasons I love him so much. Even though he's a one-off villain here, he always gives his villains something to make you care about them. It's not just a group robbing the bank or whatever. He gives Porcupine a level of, let's advance his story. They dust off the suit. They give him some motivation. He wants to retire, but he, he just can't learn his lesson. I don't know. He shows up a handful of more times. I'll cover these also very quickly. Marvel Age Annual number one. He's part of the Lethal Legion. In Avengers 274, this is, oh, excuse me, excuse, excuse me. Uh, fast forward. I'll get to that in just a second. In 1992, so this is a few years after his death, there's an old story uh, 
that's told now, but it's set back in the beginning days of Alpha Flight. And he's part of the team called the Emissaries of Evil, led by Egghead, who's another classic pimfo. Uh, that one's almost hard to wedge into continuity, but it's there. Uh, and then in Avengers 274, that's where the Masters of Evil break into Avengers Mansion. It's just that like epic story. If you've ever read that, they, they, they just destroy the Avengers. But that's where we see the porcupine armor on display. It also shows up in Avengers Squadron Supreme Annual number 1998. And then when I recorded my episode with Steve Fox and we talked about Solar, we talked about a mutant who his name is Dead Ringer. And his power is... If he gets some tissues off of a corpse, like a finger or a toe or some sort of like, he has uh. like your body, like your, your DNA, he can change into you, but also like not just you, but your full armored self. So he has obtained in Captain America 425, which is one of Grenwald's last cap stories, Dead Ringer briefly changes into Porcupine. He's like got his fucking finger or something. And when oh, he holds yeah. it, he like turns into like a full version of Porcupine in his armor briefly. And he has like explosive quills. His powers are nonsense. He's a stupid character, <laughs> dead ringer. Uh, but, uh, and then that's kind of it. We see him briefly in like the JLA Avengers series, but we started this by talking about his death first. Uh, what is it, as we kind of sum this guy up, Josh, what is it that compels you, if anything, about him? And is there anything you need to know about him? What's the stuff that you would need to know to make this a character that works for you? Okay, so what compels me about, he is, he's a self-aware bad guy who's down on his luck and always trying to, to get there. He doesn't seem out of place on like a superior foes of Spider-Man kind of team, you know, or like the enforcers, like that level of baddie. Um, but he's also, he's brilliant. He doesn't, he's not great in the moment. You know, he's not necessarily a great tactician combat wise. He like fills his tubes with like fly paper. So, you know, he's not necessarily <laughs> doing the most, um, but he's still like, there's something there that I find really tangible about like the villain handle porcupine, the quill motif is kind of compelling to me. I don't know what you need. I guess you need to see more of his inner life. You need family, friends, romances, something. We're kind of in a weird place where um, we have the new porcupine who's also kind of handed off the mantle. He's kind of done being yeah, the porcupine yeah. as well. So maybe there's some room to bring back our friend. Um, I don't know what he needs. I guess you just like, you up the tech and make him a more compelling foe or maybe you make him some sort of mutate and make him part porcupine and animen perhaps he's a villain who does his homework he's smart he's smart enough to design this this thing he's an engineer clearly a weapons designer like he's got some stuff there that make him pretty redeemable i think uh i think again we need yeah like the family story we need to see some of his inner motivations the fact that he died so tragically kind of makes me not want to have him back though. Right, there's something meaningful to his death. And so that's really compelling too, is like most villains don't get to stay dead. Uh, maybe we just let the porcupine rest as a cautionary tale. He's just like, you see that armor on the side of the Avengers, it calls him an honored foe. And you're like, huh, who was that guy? But when you look into him, there's not a lot there. He never really did anything profound except for design the suit and it never went anywhere. He was, instead of the king of crime, he was one of 
thousands of villains that just get their asses handed to them over and over again. Uh, he wasn't particularly savage or smart. Uh, he just was like a run of the mill down on his luck. Uh, but the reason I love him is just the 60s camp. That's what gets to me. The design of the suit, what it does, these like tubes that fire shit at people. <laughs> the, the the stories from Gi- Giant Man and the Wasp, uh, that's what makes him just indelible to me. Oh, it's a fever dream. Yeah. And just, again, weaponizing cosplay for evil is such an interesting approach. <laughs> Uh, Josh Trujillo, you are a wonderful, wonderful, uh, creative, incredible person. What an honor it is to spend this time with you today, just nerding oh, out over obscure comic book history. Uh, I'm I'm so pleased to see your face and just to have this chance to chat. Uh, recognizing this is coming out in early October, we talked a little bit about the stuff you have going on right now, but is there anything you want to plug and where can people find you online if they want to follow yeah. you and what else you're doing? You can find me online uh, at Lost His Keys Man or my website, joshtrujillo.com. And then you can look forward to Blue Beetle number one releasing November 22nd. And so I think when this ish- episode drops, you'll be able to pre-order issue number three, which is yep. our fire introduction to the storyline. So if you love Coriander, this is your time. This, this is your moment. Um, and then look for Whole Thing and Wicked before the end of the year. Look for some surprises early next year. And I'm doing a Bill and Ted story, uh, Bill and Ted Day of the Dead, which also comes out, uh, I think, last week of October, first week of November. That's fantastic. Uh, You guys all know where to find Gray Malkin. I'll just announce what we've got coming up right around this episode. The next Patreon episode after this is going to feature Storm's parents, uh, David and Ender Monroe. I'm doing that with Bar Fox. It was a fascinating study into the way Black characters are interpreted over time. Uh, uh, really, really interesting. So come back and listen. And the episode dropping on the podcast right after this one is uh, our review of X-Men 58 with the incredible uh, writer, the creator, or at least co-creator of, of Thanos and other incredible characters, Mike Friedrich. So oh my God. Uh, make sure to seek this out. Uh, I just recorded that one two days ago. It was great. We had a good time. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you. And Josh, thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you back here next time. Yeah, anytime and always.